Rules for Life. And what I'm going to speak about is probably one of the top five most, in principle, most important principles in our lives. A lot of times when I speak, I tend to bring like sober messages. I just realized this like the last time I spoke on Mother's Day. I'm like, do I ever speak anything really like, that's exciting. It's usually like sober and convicting. But tonight is going to be fun for me because it is more of a teaching type message. And it's one that I pray that I can glean from and that you all can glean from as well. It's something that God has been consistently working on me with for about the last two decades, which really makes me sound old. <laughs> Probably sooner than that. I just didn't realize it. But wow, when I realized it was like two decades. It's a struggle I face, but it's also a struggle that you face. It's something that is common to us all. And it's something that everyone in this room has. Actually, it's very wild. It's untamed, and it's very difficult to control. It has the power to make your life a wonderful experience, and it has the power to completely destroy it. It is the power to create beauty or create disaster, and this little thing literally creates your destiny. Anybody know? <laughs> it's a flap of flesh found inside of your mouth. Yes, for those of you that guessed it. Just a little thing, a little thing with tremendous power, a little thing called your tongue. So I'm going to read some scriptures, but before I do, if you join with me in prayer one more time, lift up your voices along with me, and let's just ask God to bless our hearts, bless our minds. Jesus, I pray that you would help us, Lord, to receive your word, that you would open our hearts to receive it, that you would open our spirits, God, to understand the ways in which you would have us to be changed by your word. Let us not just be hearers of your word, God, but let us be doers of your word. Let us be impacted by your word. Let it come alive in us, God. Challenge us, change us, convict us, make us different by your word, I pray. Lord, let it speak to my heart. Let it speak to my line. Let it speak to every person here, I pray. In the name of Jesus. Jesus, open our hearts and our understanding that we might receive your word. We ask in your precious and beautiful name, in Jesus' name. So 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 10, in the New Living says, for the scripture says, if you want to enjoy life and see many happy days, it's easy. Keep your tongue from speaking evil and your lips from telling lies. That's all. God bless you. <laughs> no, but seriously, it could, it wish it was that easy, don't you? Like, you want to enjoy life. You want to see many happy days. That's all you have to do, it says. It's just keep your tongue from speaking evil and your lips from telling lies. There we have it. Such an easy recipe for success. And yet, we every one of us struggles, struggles to do this. James chapter 1, verse 26 says, If you claim to be religious, but don't control your tongue, you are fooling yourself, and your religion is worthless. <laughs> so now we're going beyond being living a good life to the very core of our religion. It's worthless if we don't control our tongue. That's why we can meet someone who looks perfectly Pentecostal on the outside, but inwardly you're like, ooh. <laughs> they are unholy because of what's coming out of their mouth. What's inside flowing outwardly. Like Pastor mentioned last week, if your house floods and you get mold on the underside of your drywall and you think I can just do something to the surface and that's going to fix the mold or that's going to make it go away, it might make it look like it's gone away. But inside, you've got to get rid of that mold in order for it not to keep spreading. So you have to cut it out. And he explains that whole process. Cut it out and re-drywall and take care of it. Because you've got to take care of what's inside in order for the outside to truly be holy. And it's just that way with our own lives. To be truly holy, we have to get to the core of our sin, cut it out, and get rid of that mold inside of us. We can't just put something on to cover it. True holiness flows from a holy heart, mind, and spirit, which is reflected outwardly both in the way we dress and carry ourselves, but really also in the way that we speak, in the way that we react, in the way that we act. And the words that flow from this little tongue of ours, where they originate from, is a source of our holiness. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 20 says, My child, pay attention to what I say. Listen carefully to my words. Don't lose sight of them. Let them penetrate deep into your heart. For they bring life to those who find them and healing to their whole body. Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. 
avoid all, say all, all perverse talk. Stay away from corrupt speech. Luke chapter 6, verse 45, a good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart. And an evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. What you say flows from what is in your heart. Sometimes people will say something in passing and it'll just like whoosh out. They're like, oh, I'm just kidding. Mm -hmm. No, you're not just kidding. Because what you said just came out of a place in your heart. What you say flows from a place in your heart. So although I'm speaking today of what flows out of our mouths, ultimately we cannot fix what comes out of our mouths unless we fix the condition of our hearts. We must aim to have pure hearts before God. That means that we have to have repentant and clean hearts. Only God is perfect. Only God is sinless. But we should aim to be as much like him in every way that we possibly can. And that means the purity of our heart matters. It matters to God. And we cannot purify our own hearts, but through the power of the blood that Jesus shed for us, we can boldly ask for his forgiveness in our lives. Psalm chapter 24, verse 3 says, Who may climb the mountain of the Lord? Who can stand in his holy place? Only those whose hands and hearts are pure, who do not worship idols and who never tell lies. They will receive. So the people whose hands and hearts are pure those are the ones that are going to receive the Lord's blessing and have a right relationship with God, their Savior. Such people, those people, may seek you and worship in your presence, O God of Jacob. Have you ever noticed how some people just have a really easy time getting into the presence of God? Doesn't matter where they are, doesn't matter what they're doing, they can just sort of lift up their hands and whoosh, they're in. And maybe you're in a season where you're struggling to get into the presence of God. I would say that the answer might be found in repentance. Because repentance and purity of our hearts and our minds is so vital to God that he's attracted. He's, he's attracted to that pureness. He's attracted to that cleanness of our hands and our hearts. To the point where it says those are the people that get to stand in the Lord's presence. Those are the people that get to worship the God of Jacob, because they have right relationship with God, their Savior. It doesn't mean that they're perfect. It means they live in repentance. Psalm chapter 51, verse 10 says, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Second Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1, having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. So since what we say ultimately flows from our heart, we have to have pure hearts. I talk to the praise team about this almost every single Sunday because the only thing that can separate us from the presence of God is sin. And sin is so easy for us to really get out of the way because Jesus already paid that price on Calvary. But yet we go through life and we are far from perfect and sometimes things happen that we don't even realize. Maybe we don't even realize that we have a sin in our life. Or we don't even realize something that's separating us from the presence of God. And that's why even in our pre-service prayer time, we come in together as corporately. And we take a time where we should have a time of repentance. Because that is what enables us to cleanse our own, you know, selves. To ask God to wash us, to purify us. Because we don't cleanse ourselves. But rather we ask God to cleanse us with his blood. And we ask him to forgive us of those things. And when we do, that separates, it takes away that sin that's separating us from God. And so as a praise team, almost every single Sunday, I'll remind the team, make sure that you have a time of repentance before you ever step foot on a platform. Because it's so vital. If you want the presence of God to flow through you, you have to have clean hands and you have to have a pure heart. And so when you come into the presence of God, I encourage you, if you don't already in our pre-service times, make sure that you have that time of repentance. Because that's what makes the difference between a church that just boom, instantly enters the presence of God and a church that's struggling. Like, I can't seem to get in. I can't seem to connect. It's really just, do we have clean hands? Do we have pure hearts? Are we ready to enter into his presence? So in these cases, <clears throat> we need to repent. And really, repentance should be a daily thing. If you don't repent every single day, I have to ask, why? 
Why? Daily repentance should be a constant in our lives. Because sometimes, like I said, we don't even realize that we've sinned. Perhaps we don't think we have any sin. I've met some people like that. I'm sure you all have too. You can think of people like, mm-hmm. In those cases, if you're like, you know what, I just can't think of one thing I've done wrong. I really can't. I can't think of any way in which I'm not perfect. Then you should pray and ask God to forgive you of your pride. Did you know that pride is a sin? Because <laughs> God is not attracted to proud hearts. He's attracted to humble spirits. And so we should ask and say, God, forgive me of my pride. For the scripture says, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And according to scripture, if you think that you have no sin, the only person you're deceiving is yourself. So we might have hidden sins also, and that's a whole other thing. Sometimes you might be like, God, I, I don't know of anything that I've done, but I know that there might be things in me that aren't quite what you want them to be. Because in your walk with God, where you really have, you have levels. God, as he draws you closer, he's so gentle about it. He'll reveal one thing to you. It's like if God was to take us and show us everything in our lives that needed to be changed in an instant, <laughs> we'd just fall apart. Like our humanity literally couldn't handle couldn't handle the holiness of God. And so he shows us one thing, and, and as we're like, oh, I can do that. And I take that step forward, and I realize, oh, that wasn't good. Jesus didn't really like it when I did that. So I take that step forward, and now I'm not doing that anymore. And then he's like, oh, by the way, this thing. Oh, okay, I can do that. And it's a step at a time in your relationship with God, one step at a time towards Jesus. And that should be our life goal, that I'm taking that next step towards God. Whatever level I'm at right now, I hope I'm at a different level tomorrow, and I hope I'm at a different level the next day. And a lot of times, that comes in forms of consecration as well, not just in, you know, the gifts of the Spirit or in the fruit of the Spirit, but often in our own consecration to Him, because as we get closer to Him, these things are less attractive, because His holiness produces a desire for what He loves, and a desire for what pleases Him. And so, those things are not really what I want anymore. I'm hungering after the things that are closer to God hungering after the things that his heart loves. And so sometimes we have these hidden sins, things that we don't realize yet are not pleasing to God. And so that should be another thing in our time of repentance that, that we should pray. God, if there's anything in me that I don't know that's a sin, forgive me. I don't want that in my life. I don't want anything that would separate me from you. So that purity of our heart is so vital. Really, I could talk all night long about what you say out of your mouth, but it's flowing from your heart. So if you don't have the heart situation right, you're never going to master the tongue situation. Purity of heart always reflects itself in our mouths. And if our mouths are uncontrolled, the Bible says your religion is in vain. Nobody is attracted to a Christian whose mouth is uncontrolled. With our words, we can make our entire lives of no good effect just by not controlling our tongues. Isn't it interesting then that the opposite is true when God's spirit fills you? He uses this terribly unruly member of your body to give you evidence that he is in control. And he shows us this through the evidence of speaking in tongues. And if you don't know about this promise, we would love to teach you more about this promise. There's Bible studies constantly going on. Find Brother Bill Foster. He loves to teach Bible studies. He is a Bible teaching extraordinaire. And he would love to show you all about the word of God and the evidence of speaking in other tongues. And I am so thankful for that promise. I'm so thankful for the spirit of God because it's really his spirit in us that enables us to control our tongues in addition to a whole lot of other things. It is his spirit that gives us joy and peace and patience and all of the fruit of his spirit. This week, we started our homeschool, and we have this big sign on our wall in our living room, and it has, it lists out the fruit of the spirit. And it was actually just a Hobby Lobby special. Like, it was on clearance, and I thought, oh, that's cool. <laughs> it was like $10. So I buy this nice sign, and in our new house, I just really liked it on this one wall right in the living room. And so every day, we're sitting there in the living room, and I'm staring at the fruit of the spirit sign. And so we've had this conversation every day of school since we started. What fruit of the Spirit can we work on today that we want to cultivate in our lives? And so the kids really think, and they're like, Titus, self-control. 
<laughs> least he recognizes it, people. <laughs> so, yes, hallelujah, self-control, that's a good one. And uh, so I'm like, I'd like to work on patience because teaching my children is not the easiest task in the world. And, um, you know, they all say their own things. Jude's sitting there. He's real contemplative, you know. He's trying to really think hard about what he wants. And Kira's like, I got like 12. <laughs> I was like, choose one, honey. That <laughs> so she's, you know, old enough to understand. I, these are hard. These are harder than you'd at first think. So the fruit of God's spirit is produced by his spirit. And I find the fruit interesting because a lot of times we think that the fruit's just going to magically appear in our lives. But fruit is something that you have to actually cultivate. You have to work to produce fruit. You have to make sure that the weeds are pulled up and you have to make sure that you're watering it and you have to make sure that it's getting sunlight. It doesn't just grow in an isolated place in the dark. You have to cultivate it. And so the fruit of the Spirit has to be cultivated in our lives. Even though God gives that seed, we have to cultivate that seed. And so that fruit should flow out of our mouths. Just like, have you ever noticed how after a good move of the Spirit full church prayer, or just a real powerful Sunday morning service. Everybody loves each other. All the problems seem so small, and you're just like, oh, I love you. And you're going up to the person that you just didn't like last week. You're like, oh, I just love you. Because the fruit of the Spirit, the Spirit moving in your life, activating in your life, produces love. It produces joy. It produces peace. It produces all these things. So we need more of his spirit in our life in order for the fruit of his spirit to flow out of our mouths. And the opposite is true without his spirit. James chapter 3, verses 1 to 10 say, Dear brothers and sisters, not many of you should become teachers in the church. Well, there's that. <laughs> for we who teach will be judged more strictly. Indeed, we all make many mistakes. For if we could control our tongues, we would be perfect and could also control ourselves in every other way. We can make a large horse go wherever we want by a means of a small bit in its mouth. And a small rudder makes a huge ship turn wherever the pilot chooses to go, even though the winds are strong. In the same way, the tongue is a small thing that makes grand speeches. But a tiny spark can set a great forest on fire. And among all the parts of the body, the tongue is the flame of fire. It is a whole world of wickedness, corrupting your entire body. It can set your whole life on fire. For it is set on fire by hell itself. These are some pretty strong words about our tongue. Not real hopeful. Not feeling a lot of hope here. People can tame all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and fish, but no one can tame the tongue. It is restful, or restless and evil, full of deadly poison. Sometimes it praises our Lord and Father, and sometimes it curses those who have been made in the very image of God. That's called backbiting or gossip right there. And so blessing and cursing come pouring out of the same mouth. Surely, my brothers and sisters, this is not right. So this is a book, James, written to churches. James was writing. And he's writing, uh, basically, you could sum up the New Testament and a lot of the epistles in one way. Like all the stupid things that the churches are doing. And this is one of the stupid things the churches are doing. They're talking when they shouldn't be talking about things they shouldn't be talking about. And they're blessing and cursing. They're literally letting words of ugliness towards the creation that God has made come out of their mouths. And he says, surely, brothers and sisters, this is not right. Blessing and cursing coming out of our mouths is not the way that God designed it to be. And we can tell whose spirit is in control of us. By what is escaping out of our mouths? Am I walking in the spirit or am I walking in the flesh? What is coming out of my mouth? The answer to what is coming out of your mouth will tell you whose spirit you're walking in. And that's one of the reasons that praying for those who have hurt or wronged you is such an important part of our lives as Christians. And you know, it's one of those verses and it says pray for those who despitefully use you and you're like, eh. <laughs> I don't want to pray for them. I don't like them, God. Did you forget? They really did me wrong. And we say in all these things, like, I don't want to pray for them. And we want to we be biblical and turn the other cheek to this scripture, not to that person. Because they make us, that makes us uncomfortable. It makes us uncomfortable to imagine praying over someone that purposely often did us wrong. We don't want to pray for those people. Luke chapter 6, verses 27 and 28 says, But to you who are willing to listen, I say, love your enemies. 
Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you and pray for those who hurt you. You know, it's not that our enemies need our prayers, although they do need our prayers, but that's not the reason that God told you to pray for them. It wasn't for them. It was for us. It's much more that we need to pray those prayers because those prayers change us. When we pray for those who have hurt us or wronged us, we're really relinquishing control, vindication, and bitterness over what has transpired. With our mouths, we begin to bless instead of curse. From our mouths, wickedness from within begins to be purged. And God knew that people were going to wrong you. If you are walking on this planet, guess what? Somebody is going to wrong you. And somebody is going to hurt you. And somebody is going to do something just mean. That was just mean to you. And you know, people are going to rub you the wrong way. I guarantee it. Doing life with people is hard. Every time we go through a season where we have just problems in the church, people issues, right? I always quote this scripture to pastor. He doesn't appreciate it that much, but I still, it's my job to encourage him, right? And it's a scripture in Proverbs that talks about where no oxen are, the crib is clean. Basically saying, we have people in this church and people produce messes because we rub up against each other and we hurt each other and we have issues. And you know what oxen do in their stalls? At least you guys don't do that, right? <laughs> Hallelujah. <clears throat> Please don't do that. <laughs> but, you know, it's just people. Because when you live with someone or you work with someone in ministry, you're going to be really close to that person. And you're going to rub up against each other doing ministry or doing life. And sometimes that's going to rub you the wrong way. Sometimes you might get scratched by that rubbing or you might get bruised by that rubbing. And that's not a bad thing, guys. Rubbing doesn't feel good. However, it's part of that process that God uses to smooth us. I often think of something, we laugh about it. I believe Brother Foster said it. And he talked about how God likes to give you goats in your life or <laughs> to get the goat out of you. I forget exactly what it was, but I often think that. I'm like, he's getting the goat out of me. Basically, like, just that yucky stuff in me, God produces situations in my life that just push at it. And I'm like, <gasps> there it is. That's it. Yep. Hallelujah. Just produces that in you. It's getting that, it's rubbing up against you, just like the stones in a brook as the water flows over them. They push against each other until they smooth each other out. And a lot of times, I believe God gave us people in our lives, in the family of God even, that do that for us. They help us to smooth out those rough edges. They, he perfects us by using other people. God will allow people to hurt you in order to produce good in you. Relinquishing vindication to God by praying for them is so vital. You cannot make a situation better, really, Hardly any other way but by relinquishing that control to God so often and saying, God, I'm going to trust you with this to take care of this. That hurt me. That caused me pain. That frustrated me. I can do nothing about it, but I know that you can. And I pray that you will bless them. And I pray that you will touch them. And I pray that you will help them. And I pray that you will help me. Because I need that just as much as you all do. Don't let hurt simmer in you. It, we must not allow hurt to simmer in our spirit or guess where it's going to come out of? It's going to come out of your mouth. And there's a saying that hurt people hurt people. A lot of times you rub up against someone that's bleeding and you get blood on you, not because you hurt them, but because they were already bleeding. And so it's vital that we pray for people who have hurt us that we might be free. It's a process that frees us. Don't let offense get in your spirit over someone that's done something or said something to you. Offense and bitterness are a lot like battery acid. If you get it on your skin for a moment and you just take it and wipe it off, you're going to be okay. You're not going to have anything severe. But if you decide you're going to hold that in your hand for a minute, you're just going to stare at it for a while. That was really bad. I really didn't like that. That really made me angry. That really frustrated me. 
you're going to think about it, you're going to dwell on it, it's going to burn you. And it's going to scar you. It's going to change you. And so it's so important that we get that out. It's going to come to all of us. If you haven't experienced it yet, you probably aren't living on life (laughs) on this planet. You all have. You all have. We've experienced it because that hurt comes to us, but we cannot hold on to it. So don't let offense get in our spirits. It will manifest outwardly, and it will manifest through our tongues. When we allow unforgiveness and bitterness in our spirit, it's only a matter of time before that toxicity begins to seep out of us. But the tongue goes beyond toxicity and ugliness, and it can literally do the opposite. It can make your life so good. Your tongue. The Bible says it. You want to live a good life? It comes from your tongue. It can make your tongue so good. First, or First Peter 3.10. For the scriptures say, if you want to enjoy life and see many happy days, keep your tongue from speaking evil and your lips from telling lies. And you know that telling lies part? We feel pretty good about that, most of us probably. were like, I don't really tell too many lies. As Christians, we probably feel like we have that part covered pretty well, right? Or at least we should, which includes white lies, half-truths, misleading information, lying on your taxes. You know, that's lying too. Half-truths, that's lying true. Not reporting all your income, claiming false write-offs, and go on and on, I won't. But anyway, that speaking evil part. Most of us think, oh, I've got, the, I've got that telling lies part pretty good. But that speaking evil light part, what does that actually mean? Well, the Bible should always be studied in context. If you didn't know, you can start an entire religion on one scripture. Take a scripture, isolate it from the rest of the word of God, voila, new religion. It's fantastic. People do it all the time. Don't do it. <laughs> but the Bible should be studied in context. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 8 says, finally, all of you should be of one mind. He's talking to the churches. Sympathize with each other. That would would fix a lot of issues right there, wouldn't it? Sympathize with one another. Love each other as brothers and sisters. Be tenderhearted and keep a humble attitude. Don't repay evil for evil. Don't retaliate with insults when people insult you. Instead, pay them back with a blessing. That is what God has called you to do, and he will grant you this blessing. For the scriptures say, if you want to enjoy life and see many happy days, keep your tongue from speaking evil and your lips from telling lies. Turn away from evil and do good. Search for peace and work to maintain it. The eyes of the Lord watch over those who do right, and his ears are open to their prayers. But the Lord turns his face against those who do evil. I think I could probably speak on that passage for at least five weeks straight. (laughs) It's all about treating other people the way we want to be treated, showing mercy and grace and repaying cursing for blessing and just so many beautiful things that would take care of the majority of issues that we experience in our lives. But do we want God to bless us? Do we want God to hear our prayers? We need to treat his people right. So what does it mean to speak evil? It says don't speak evil. Keep your tongue from evil. You want all these things? Treat his people right and keep your tongue from evil. What does it mean to speak evil? I'm going to read some things real quickly. Saying things that are wrong, hurtful, and wicked. Often in scripture, such speaking is directed at a person with the specific intent to cause pain. Keep thy tongue from evil. Psalms 34 verse 13 and 1 Peter 3.10. An ungodly man diggeth up evil. So you're not even just speaking it. You're trying to find it in this case. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 27. Blessed are ye when men shall say all manner of evil against you falsely. Matthew chapter 5, verse 11. Out of the heart proceed evil thoughts. Matthew 15, 19. Thou shalt not speak evil of the ruler. Acts 23, verse 5. Let all evil speaking be put away from you. Ephesians 4, verse 31. I don't even have them throwing these up because it's just really quick. But speak not evil one of another. James 4, 11. The Bible has a lot to say about speaking evil. So what is evil? Think about it. What is evil? What would you quantify as evil speaking? The very basic definition is it's the opposite of good. Am I speaking something that is the opposite of good? An easy test is to think, is what I'm saying good, beneficial, and kind? If not, probably shouldn't be said. When it's said, it's called gossip. 
And God has very little tolerance for gossip. Neither does Refuge Church. It's evil. It's evil. It's the opposite of the scriptures we read above. What is gossip, someone may ask. It's any time that we speak evil of someone or share someone's business that isn't good. I'll repeat that. What is gossip? Anytime, anytime we speak evil of someone or share someone's business that isn't good. So you can feel free to share all of the good and lovely and beautiful information about your brothers and sisters in Christ. Share it with the world. Tell everybody how amazing they are. And something that's not so good, we should just not speak. But what if you're going to share, if you're going to share just has a tinge of ugliness in it, just a tinge, should we be saying it? We should stop. If it's not good, if it's not kind, if it's not lovely, it's probably ugly in some form, and that is gossip. But someone may say, but what if I have a real problem? Like, I really need to talk about it. One way to figure out if you're gossiping or not, it's it's an old saying I heard a long time ago, and I try and live it. And it's hard. It's hard. It's hard sometimes to know the difference. But one thing to figure out if you're gossiping or not is determine if you're talking about someone talking about your situation to someone who is either part of the problem or part of the solution. If, are they part of the problem or are they part of the solution? For instance, if I am unhappy, I'm using Brother Foster, I'm picking on him a lot tonight. If I'm unhappy with the way that Brother Foster is playing the guitar, talking about that to my mom is probably not going to help. You all laugh and you're like, yeah. But that's what we do a lot of times. We go talk to the person closest to us like, uh, Brother Foster, he's just doing his own thing up there. He's just doing whatever he wants. He's not listening to a thing I say. And I'm in a blah, 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 blah. That's not kind. That's not good. And she is not part of the problem or the solution. But I'm just, I'm gossiping. That's what I'm doing. So that's not going to help. But biblically, we should go to that person. So the first thing I should do is go directly to Brother Foster. Brother Foster, you're not listening when I tell you. No, he does. He's amazing. He doesn't do any, he's so wonderful. Doesn't do anything bad. But I should go to him directly. That is what the Bible tells you to do. And if you want to come and talk to Pastor and I about a problem or a situation, that is the first question that we will ask you. Have you talked to that person? Because if you have not yet attempted to talk to that person directly, then it is gossip. Because we need you to biblically talk to that person first. You have to try to go to the person before you come to someone else and get someone else involved. So first thing, I'm going to talk to you. I'm going to talk to that person. If Brother Foster says, I don't care what you have to say. I'm going to do whatever I want. Then I might go to Pastor and be like, honey, Brother Foster is not being helpful. (laughs) Tell him my situation. And there might even be a circumstance where I get Tanya involved because she might be part of the solution. However, I'm not going to get random members of the praise team, like, did you see him? Did you see him today? Did you see what he was doing? And we laugh about it, but it's so simple and easy. It just, it, it just kind of comes, because it's in our, we're frustrated, and it's in our spirits, and so it just kind of slips out of our mouth, like, oh, yeah, well, we might as well talk about it. It's out there now. You know, he was so frustrating. So we get that. We let it come out. But if they're not part of the problem, and they're not part of the solution, we should not be speaking anything that is not wonderful, beautiful, and kind about somebody. And this is hard. I'm not saying I've mastered it myself. It's hard stuff, guys. But it's, we want to make sure that our hearts are clean. We don't want that gossip coming out of our spirits. And I'm not, we do not have a problem with gossip. I'm not saying this because we have a problem with gossip. I am saying this because God laid this on my heart to say it. And because we don't want to ever have a problem with gossip. There's a culture at Refuge Church, and that culture is not one of talking about each other, and it's not one of creating little clicks of information and clicks of people, and we never want it to become that way. So don't talk about people. I won't, we, I'm going to try my best not to talk about people. Are you part of the problem? Are you part of the solution? Ask yourself those questions. However, gossip And ugly words actually do something else to us. Not only are they not pleasing to God, but you know they actually make you feel unhappy? They really do. They don't even produce anything good. They just make you feel unhappy because, number one, your conscience probably smites you and your spirit goes, alert, not a good idea, not something we should be doing. And so you feel uncomfortable. But then also, 
When we speak negative words, we feel negative emotions. And so we're making ourselves unhappy with the words that we speak. Because the Bible says we can make our lives beautiful with the words we speak. We can also make our lives terrible with the words we speak. We are created in the image of God. And when God created the world, with the exception of humanity, everything that we see was created by spoken word. Think about that for a second. God spoke. It came into existence. God's words have creative power. He speaks, and it happens. And we are created in his image. So let me challenge your thinking for a moment and take you beyond what we shouldn't be doing, gossiping. What should we be doing with our mouths? If we are created in the likeness and image of God, and many of our natural and biological conditions have a parallel in the spiritual to the God that we serve, why would our words not have the same power? I propose that they do. You create what you speak. My mother tells a story of being a child and overhearing someone talk about her and her twin sister. And they were both being very typical children, teasing and fussing and fighting. And she even says that they were bullies, which is hard to imagine. <laughs> but there were two of them, and they bully the kids around them. So <laughs> they were bullies. I mean, yeah, you can, that's hard to imagine, right? My mom is a bully. But she says that they were. <laughs> but in this case, she overheard a conversation of people speaking. And the adults speaking had this perception that my mom was the kind one. She was a kind, sweet child, and her sister, not as much. So my mom didn't feel like a kind, sweet child at that moment. But those words had such a power over her in her life that she says she remembers subconsciously weighing her choices against those words. Her actions started to become sweeter and kinder because somebody spoke those words. She believed the words that someone had spoke. And to this day, people will comment, oh, your mom, your mom is so sweet. Your mom is such a kind person. Something was created in her as a child by two adults in a conversation that she wasn't even a part of, but that she overheard. And that is why to this day, I literally cringe. If you do this, I, I'm not, I don't know anyone in here, I'm just saying. But to this day, I literally cringe when I hear parents talk about their children in negative ways when they are present. Oh, he's just a little monster. Or she is out of control. Or my child never listens. Or they have a terrible attitude. No matter how old they are, you are speaking something into existence when you speak those words into your child. And I want to scream when I hear them because I understand that those parents are literally creating those attributes in their child. Imagine what could happen if instead of speaking words of death over our children, our churches, or our homes, we began to speak life over them. My child, and I have one of these, my child, I have two, my child is so strong. One day they are going to do amazing things for God. Lord, they are such a kind child, or she notices all the people around her, or she loves God with all of her heart. Speak life over your children, over your spouse, over your church. Our words have creative power. Speak life over your jobs. Your jobs don't have to be a terrible negative place. You have the power to influence the people around you. You have the power to change the atmosphere around you. Speak life. You know, it's one of those things when, when you're with somebody and you, just, you can tell they just enjoy life. It makes you enjoy life more. You're like, they just enjoy whatever they're doing. I mean, we could be riding in the car and, like, they're just enjoying that time. Or the opposite is true when you're with someone that just has a negative outlook and everything just has this negative tinge to it. You're just like, you're stealing my joy. You're stealing, you're sucking the life out of my experience. I hate that. I'm like, I don't care if, you know, I'm at a restaurant and the food didn't get delivered. We're going to find a way to make this a good experience. We only have so many hours in this earth, and I'm not going to be griping and complaining about what's happening here. It doesn't make life any better. It makes it worse. So speak life with our words. Our words have creative power, and what we say matters. Gerald Jeffers recently told a story about a study that was done on Native American elders. The study was performed because it was noted 
that once these elders decided that they had lived a full enough life, they would decide that it was time to die. And shortly thereafter, they would pass away. And it was true whether they were healthy or ill, and so they were just puzzled by this. They were puzzled. So within a short amount of time, after deciding they wanted to die, they'd be dead. So intrigued, they studied what was taking place in these instances to determine what factors were involved. And it was noted that once the elders decided it was time to die, they literally, with their mouths, as was their custom, began to say, I am going to die soon. I am ready to die. I am going to die soon. I am ready to die. In response, they clinically watched the cells of the elders' bodies began to shrink and prepare to die. Their bodies were responding to their spoken words. Imagine for a moment what the spirit world does as we speak. So I ask you today, what are you creating with the words that you speak? From a practical standpoint, when you wake up in the morning, are your first thoughts, do you speak? I am so tired. I hate my job. I wish I could go back to bed. I didn't sleep well last night. And you just begin this entourage of terribleness to begin your day. Or do you speak life? Do you wake up and think, God, and literally speak, God, I thank you for another beautiful day that you have given me. Thank you for health in my body. Thank you that I have a job to provide for my family. Thank you, Lord, that I have the strength to get out of bed another day and go to work. Thank you that I was able to sleep at all last night. If you want to have a good life, it is found in your tongue. The enjoyment of our lives is often found in the life-giving expression that we make with our words. We add to our experience. Part of the joy of receiving a gift is actually saying thank you. This means so much to me. You verbalize an emotion and it makes it more meaningful. Man, that was so much fun today after you had a great day doing something. You make your situations better with the words you speak. It adds enjoyment to your experience. Our words add life. And thinking about it from a spiritual perspective, imagine the words, the power of our words over our situations. God is my refuge and strength. He is a very present help in my time of need. His grace is sufficient for me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I am the head and not the tail. God has a purpose and a plan for my life. No matter how I feel, I know that God is in control of everything. My God is able. You feel those words because they mean something, because we're speaking the very core of the power of God into existence. Our words are ushering power into a situation. And so I'm almost finished, but I want to share one last thing with you. A few years back, Sister Kim Haney spoke a word at ladies' conference about speaking to the wind and prophesying over situations. Many of you probably were there, and it was a powerful message on speaking things that are not as though they are. And after this message, I began declaring things in faith, and I believed God to perform these things, big things, powerful things, things that only God could do, things that, you know, dreams and things that are so big. You should have dreams and things that are so big that you're actually embarrassed to tell people about them. You really should. Like, I'm declaring these things over our city. And actually, so I'll tell you one of the things I'm declaring just because I'm, I'm just going to tell you. So that day at ladies' conference, she was talking about dreaming these big things. And I just got up there, and I had all this boldness, and I'm just like, you know what? Pleasant Valley Church belongs to the wrong church. We are the church of this city, and that is our church. And so I was just like, someday we are going to be in that city, and the people of that church are going to be apostolic, and God is going to do that. We are the church of this city. And so I just spoke it, and I've spoken it ever since. And so... That at NAM retreat, um, the district superintendent of Louisiana was speaking, Brother Weber. And he was talking about declaring these things. And he gave this amazing, I mean, it was an amazing message about the things that God is doing within the apostolic organization of literal um, all over. He made all these news sources and information that he had basically of people that are just receiving the Holy Ghost in their churches. 
Methodists and Catholic and one of the big Catholic popes. And he was saying, people will say, oh, that's not okay. You know, they don't have the full truth. He said, you should be so excited when people are receiving the Holy Ghost. Because the scripture literally says, the spirit of God will lead them into all truth. So he's telling these stories. And he just felt in the spirit. And he's like, I just want people to stand up. These North American missionaries to stand up and declare what God is doing in their city. And it was so powerful because they stood up in faith in things that we absolutely could not do on our own. Absolutely could not accomplish. But speaking just that faith and that power and that confidence that God's going to do this. And the ways that they spoke it, one of the men's like, we have a witch coming to our church. And she's going to receive the Holy Ghost. And she's going to be baptized. And she's going to turn the, you know, the entire culture around through her experience. And just you could feel the power building in that room because the Spirit of God was backing the words that they spoke. There was creative power in their words. And they were prophesying to something that was dead, and they were speaking to something that was not as though it was. And so on the way to church today, out of nowhere, I don't know if I've told her this. I don't think I have. Like, this isn't something I share with a lot of people because it's embarrassing almost. You know, you're like, <laughs> okay. But we're driving past the church, and there's all these people at Pleasant Valley, and Kira goes, that's our church. And she says, and all those people are going to come to refuge. And something in my spirit, just like God, I don't know if I've ever spoke that to her, but something is transmitting in this spirit through that and through those words that I know one day, one day, God has a plan and he has a purpose in it. So a couple months ago, Sister Kendra Lex was here and she gave a powerful prophecy over this church. But later in the spirit, or later at lunchtime, she told us that she really felt in the spirit that we could gain much ground in this community by walking around it and praying. And I've told some of you this. She said it didn't need to be anything formal or big, but this is what missionaries often do in countries. They have entire nations to, to win to God. And so they'll walk around those cities and they'll go into those nations and they'll just walk around and pray and claim it. Same thing that Sister Diana did over the counties of Missouri that don't have any churches. And Pastor was telling me he shared that today numerous times and just how God was lining things up. And it was so powerful seeing what God is doing in the state of Missouri. Missouri has literally become a hub. Like every state is looking at Missouri right now and what they're doing in North American missions and the way um, that God lined it up where you felt that burden to begin praying and praying over those counties long before they made these target cities and said, we need churches in these counties. And now just seeing all these pieces come into fruition. But it started with prayer. And it started with her speaking over those counties and God putting that in her heart. And so Sister Lex said, it didn't need to be anything formal or big, but she she felt like we could gain much ground in our community by consistently claiming this area for God. And as a result, one of the things that I do is I now walk around my property every day. And I've always drove around our city and prayed over it, but I've been more intentional about it. But not just, not just praying, oh God, touch our city, oh God, do these things, but literally speaking those things into existence, claiming them, claiming the power and authority of God over this city, declaring all that he is going to do, and his ability to do things that we can only imagine or think around us. And so I would love to see some men and some women put this into action at Refuge, to begin to walk or drive around our city on a consistent basis, claiming it for the kingdom of God. Casting down wickedness, binding the strongholds of our city, and loosing the power of God, loosing the desire for truth, loosing angels to speak to those who are hungry and who are wanting to know God in our city. Praying over the churches that are in this city, that God would send them revelation, that he would send them full truth, because those people love God. And I heard a story, and I know I'm, I'm almost done, but we were at a, a concert um, with a popular artist, and I won't name whom, and a, a popular Christian artist. And she was talking about how she went through this season in life, and she just felt God just really pushing at her and, and telling her that she needed to know him more, that she didn't know him. 
And it wasn't the first time I'd heard a story like this. And she never did talk about how she even resolved that or what was happening with it. She just talked about how through it was a, it was a season where she just felt God really pushing at her. And I heard another artist say the same thing and how when they would feel these experiences, they would just say, no, God, I know you and I know these things about you. And my heart was so saddened because I'm like, God's trying to draw people to deeper revelation of him, people that love him but maybe don't fully understand or know him in the ways that we're privileged to. It's not because they don't want to. It's just because they've not ever received the revelations that we have been given and the knowledge that we've been given. And so really praying that God would lead them, lead them to truth, lead them into the right ways, praying those things over our city. You know, so... I say men and women because this is something I would like to see our men step up more in as well. And some of you are already there, but many of our men, just be honest, our ladies' prayer groups, our prayer fellowships fill up with women. And we need some men that are willing to step up and say, I'll dig in my heels, and I'll cover this city in prayer, and I'll step it up. And really going forward, men have that power in the spirit. Women have a defensive power. Men have an offensive power. And so there's certain things in the spirit that we cannot gain unless the men of this church will rise up in prayer and dig in their heels and start declaring them over our city. So we're going to go open up these altars in just a minute, and you have to give me time to transition to the keyboard, but <laughs> I don't know about you, but I have a lot to pray about. I have a lot, not just the words in my mouth to guard my heart and my mouth, but I want to give life to some promises that God has put on my heart. You all have things that he's placed in your heart too, that you've just said, God, you put this in my spirit, and I've honestly been embarrassed to even speak it, embarrassed to say it, but I know that it's from you. I know that it comes from you. So right now, let's all stand, and I'm going to go over here. And Usually we'd have some of our younger people be available to play, but, you know, tonight's their service downstairs. And let's just come. Let's find a place to pray at the altar and just begin to declare some of those promises and some of those things that God has laid on your heart. Maybe you just need a time where you do go into some repentance first, and you say, God, cleanse my mind, cleanse my heart cleanse my spirit of Jesus, of anything that is not like you, of anything that does not please you, of anything that does not bring you glory. And God, let me have the authority to declare your promises in my life. God, let me have the power and the strength, God, to speak life over my situation, whatever it might be. God, we know that you are an able God, and we know that you are a God that can do all things. We know, God, that there is nothing too hard for you. Lord, you are the mighty God. You are the everlasting Father. You are the Prince of Peace. We love you. We worship you. We praise you, God. We bow our hearts. We bend. 